Hey Ski Racing Tribe and welcome to another edition of Tips and Tales where our heads are in the World Cup but our ears are always to the snow for anything Alpine. We will cover the races, the news, and the news makers. And as of right now, we just had the Giant Slalom in Adelboden and in Kronskogora. So that time stamps it. Today, we're going to get into what's happened over the last couple weeks. And primarily, we're going to get into what I'm going to call the dual format racing. I'm Steve Perino. My partner here is Scott Lyons. Say hi, Scott. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and we'll also get into our picks, what's happened in the last week, and then we'll give you some nuggets of news. But most importantly, today on the podcast, in order to parse through whether or not we like this dual format racing, we've spoken to one of the legends of U.S. skiing, and that is Julie Mancuso. And the reason that she got our attention was because of the tweet we put out. Can you remember exactly what it said? I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was essentially what she tweeted out when she was watching the women's event in Courcheval that um, the, the, the red course was faster and it was pretty straight and essentially it was not a slalom and she hashtagged it with non-event. <laughs> and so immediately we, we had a critic and so we went right to her to get... Uh, her feelings on the event. We also found out what she's thinking in terms of her Olympic ambitions. But before we get to all that, let's kind of bring us up to speed. You, Scott, with the women, what's been happening in the world of women to this point? Well, if you go back to the basically the Courchevel parallel event, um, it's pretty much been the Michaela Schifrin show for the last few weeks. Um, she's won uh, everything except one race, which was the GS and Leanne, and she was on the podium where she finished third. She's basically, at this point, she's almost locked up the overall. She's more than doubled the score of her, or, or the point total of her next competitor, which is Victoria Ravensburg. Um, and she's not just winning, she's winning pretty handily. It doesn't seem like it because her second run, she's sort of dialed it back, especially with the snow conditions they've been dealing with. But she is crushing the field. Did you see? Did you see it coming? Did you? Because uh, I know you've been holding out on whether or not she could dominate Giant Slalom over the the last couple of years. No, I, I think um, I think speed and then and also Giant Slalom have been question marks um, the last couple of years. She definitely has shown flashes of speed in Giant Slalom, um, but it hasn't been consistent and excellent all the time. And I think now we're seeing a different gear in her game where she is coming to win her podium every single race that she's in, um, which is a new vibe. I think, you know, we've seen runs of GS where she's on the podium. A lot of times it's been first runs and then she drops back the second run, which, you know, I think she's talked a little bit about that being a function of nerves. Um, she just hasn't found that same gear in the, a lot of second runs. And now we're seeing... She doesn't seem nervous. No. No, I think it seemed like somewhere along the way this fall, and it might have been Lake Louise, actually, it seemed like the pressure has fallen away a little bit. Going into Killington um, earlier in the season, we heard a lot about her nerves and how they were affecting her. Maybe it was the pressure of being defending overall champion on the World Cup. That definitely changed the game a little bit for her. Um, but lately, something is different. Something seems to have clicked. Um, every run is, you know, precise and and really beautiful. Um, yeah. And her gear is sort of untouchable by the field. It's yeah. In slalom, giant slalom, she still can be beaten here and there, but she's winning. She's racing. Yeah. She's starting to race yeah. with, I think, before she was sort of more in that beautiful right. category. And I think we, you know, the women's GS field is... Deep? Is deep. And we've always talked about the depth, or the last few years we've talked about the depth of women's of women's giant slalom, and you know she's now at the top of that depth chart. And what's important there, and we're gonna we're gonna go do a deep dive on that, is that she won both of the dual events, which is to say she won a city event and she won a parallel event. And if that confuses you out there. You're not alone because it confused me, and I had to explain it on the air, and it was a bit of a panic in the moment. <laughs> I'm going to bring you up to speed on the uh, on the men's side, 
And as much as it's been a Schifrin show since the last time we had a podcast, it's been the Hirscher show. And I think last time I might even have said, I'm not totally convinced that Hirscher will continue to dominate. Fair to say I'm convinced now. <laughs> it's the, the race in Madonna where he stopped, basically did a circle outside the course. It was surely the end of his possibilities of winning that race and then he went on to win I, I could not believe it and I think he called it maybe the greatest victory of his career athletically speaking of course it's importance not as great but athletically speaking phenomenal uh, and he had a lot of people wondering oh my god how are we going to beat this guy particularly Henrik Christofferson and that's been an interesting matchup to watch over uh, the last couple of weeks that is that's one that one is someone's going to have to open up the pressure cooker there because that one's getting heated yeah. No, it's fun to watch those two go at it. Um, I think Christofferson is consistently across both Giant Slalom and Slalom now, it seems like, the one who's challenging here, sure, if we could say challenging. Yeah, I think, well, I don't expect Christofferson to beat Hirscher in GS at the level he's at. I think Christofferson's still building there. I don't think that up until the last run in Zagreb that... Christofferson was showing a level of slalom this year, suggesting that Hirscher, he could beat Hirscher unless Hirscher veered off course again. But I think the next time around, Christofferson isn't going to get him. I think the clock is going to be on his side. That's just my gut reaction. Then we had a speed event in Bormio. I know uh, I told you that, that uh, Dominic Paris wasn't ready to win when he was in La Gardena, but I changed my tune. Just on Fantasy Racer, I picked him to win in Bormio. I just wanted to pump myself up on that one. Um, he's one of those cyclic racers, I think. And uh, I think he'll be dangerous to the Olympic Games because I don't think he'll be consistently good for the, re for the remainder of January. But those are the kind of guys I think are most dangerous come the Olympic Games. Then there was the, the Alpine combined, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. Uh, I don't think that was a good watch. I think that, you know, Alexi Pantero is deserved of that victory because he's good in both disciplines. Everyone else, it, it was almost like uh, handed out lottery tickets. It, it just no one skis. On the men's side, the least the, the crew that showed up there, they don't ski slalom. And I think that the death of that event, which is coming in two years' time, uh, might be overdue. Yeah, I mean, I tried to watch it, and... I fell asleep and missed the whole thing and woke up when it was over. <laughs> okay. Uh, fair enough. So now back to the city events. We've had three. We had the one, excuse me, we've had dual events. There was the parallel event, Giant Slalom in Alta Badia. There was the women's parallel slalom. That was in Korsh. Event in Oslo. That's a city event. Now the difference is that a city event, A, is invitational. So they take the top 12 skiers ranked in that discipline plus the top four in the overall. If there's overlap in those two parties, then they start to go deeper into the overall to round out 16 skiers for the city event. Whereas in the parallel event, it's invitational. In the giant slalom, you following? This is our research about it. This is NBC's research, and he's looking at me like, I better learn these rules. It's that confusing. That's a problem. So the giant slalom, they take the guys, the top 12 guys, plus the top four overall. And so that gives you theoretically, it actually gives you 20 guys. Once you get, it's supposed to be 16 guys in the GS, plus four guys in the overall. They take the next 12 that aren't selected from the first run of Giant Slalom the day before in Alta Badia. Breathe. Now over to the women's in Courchevel in the Slalom. That one was wide open, which meant anyone could qualify. They had one run, was based on time, and then the top 32 people raced. So no one had a protected seed. What is also different, and this is what gives people fits, is that after the first round, when you get down to the round of eight quarter semifinals and finals, you only get one run, meaning that the top ranked skier gets to pick the course they think 
is fastest. And so we had a chance to talk to Julia Mancuso, who was critical of that particular format. And this is what she had to say. Very salient thoughts, not only about this event, but about the calendar in general, also about what is happening to the overall skier of your are there any left? Is Michaela Schifrin maybe going to be one? Anyway, here's Mancuso. Here, here's my first question to you is that before they had the parallel event, did you even know the difference between a parallel event in a city event because i'm embarrassed to say i actually had to look it up i didn't know what the difference was well i was a little bit confused when they were having a parallel event this year in courchevel where it was open to everyone i guess but i kind of figured that out it and that the city event would be invitational but i'm not really 100 percent sure if that's the only difference the idea that you and i have to discuss this means that the rest of the world probably has no idea really what's going on out there. Anyway, what did you think okay. of the so the faster event? person uh wait sorry, so the person with the better ranking or the faster person gets to pick the, the course. Better ranking. And and not okay. based I love the fact that we're having this conversation. <laughs> so the person <laughs> with the best ranking in slalom Regardless of how you qualified, it has nothing to do with your qualifying time. That person gets to pick the track that they want. And that's why you saw in Courchevel, you know, Schifrin and Vlova and whomever holding up the little red card. Did you see that at the start? Okay, I didn't see that, no. Yeah. I just thought it was strange that they weren't switching courses. But um, now that I know that, okay, I understand. I guess that makes sense, but not completely there's parts of it that make sense but the whole thing doesn't make complete sense to me as a competitor yeah give me that give me your take on that well i think you know as a a show for the audience i guess i can see why they want to protect the higher ranked person because parallel is not a slalom so maybe that's protecting the ranking but if you're going to actually count it as a real event where winner takes all, there's absolutely no way that you can ever guarantee a course is going to be exactly the same because the mountain's never the same. They're not measuring the degree of the slope in the exact place where they're putting the gate. I mean, for sure, they're measuring the distances between the gate and the offset, but the snow's never going to be the same. So when I was watching it, to see the competitors never switch sides, especially like maybe in the final that didn't make sense especially when the um first round was two runs that was a little contradicting to me because <laughs> you'd think that if the first round was off of qualifying times then the person with the higher ranking could choose their course right not the case and yeah. so <laughs> um do you think uh from what I understand, it's, I guess the idea is to keep it moving, keep it moving. Um, do you think there's a, a future for that discipline to simply keep it moving to make a show based on what you said, which is athletically, it's not fair? Yeah, I mean, like my opinion is that athletically, it's not a real event. The purpose of a city event, which is the same purpose as the Pro Tour, it's to highlight the athletes that people want to see more of. When you get into a situation where it's the star athletes, where they go up again, run to run, and they're doing multiple runs in the day, the audience is satisfied, the people on TV watching are satisfied because they get to see their stars more often. And when you go into the round of where you just keep it moving, keep it moving and crown a winner, that's kind of against that whole thought of what the purpose of a city event, a short course, more runs for the athletes is. So I don't really understand that. You think it has a future? Um, one thing as I look at what the FIS is proposing is that come 2021, they're completely scrapping Alpine combined and the idea is to run more of these parallel slash city events in their place. What do you think of that? 
Well, I think that it's interesting for sure. I think there should be more. And I guess the idea behind running the parallel event as opposed to a city event is to making it an open platform to where every athlete has an opportunity because you're not the top 15. Like you see that in races. Like, you know, for me, I won a city event and I would have never been invited if it was a slalom. So maybe the idea is to open it up so there's the opportunity for other athletes that might not be a slalom specialist to be able to run the parallel. But um, I think the whole discussion is about, you know, is it a part of a slalom? No, it's not. And that's one of the major issues right now because especially counting towards the slalom globe and the slalom world cup overall that kind of stuff is really difficult for some athletes who might not be great at the parallel but are exceptional you know classic slalom skiers and you know in Michaela's case she's great at both so that's awesome but there's definitely some athletes that are also better at the parallel but not so good at slalom which would have been my case so it's just it's really interesting because it is a different event it's not you know the the technique of cross blocking and getting really close to the gate and snapping off those turns is very unique to slalom whereas the city event has so many you know you see on the men's side the double blocking of the gates right. and you see the inside clear and all of that is is very technique specific for parallel or for paneled slalom basically yeah and you look at uh, first of all i have not spoken to anyone that thinks that these belong as part of the discipline title i don't know if you watch the men's race in alta Badia, which is a giant slalom jan's right is is a master at, at that discipline uh sort of along the lines of what you're saying he's he's not terribly relevant right now in giant slalom but as a parallel skier he's awesome even in slalom do you think it belongs as its own title and it, does that have a place on the world cup scrapping things like the alpine combined and they're also talking about maybe pairing back if not getting rid of super g altogether i don't know if you heard that yeah i, th I did hear a rumor about that i think getting rid of super g is crazy i think it's one of the most exciting events now and i think that a lot of athletes love that event and I think a lot of viewers love it because there really is a big component of excitement it's only one inspection it's a little bit different from the downhill so I think that's a great event and so just because it's not one of the original because it's a newer event I wouldn't see that scrapping that would be a good idea and also to even out the speed side with the tech side I think it's really important to keep a good balance just to keep the flow of the world cup but, um, yeah, if you're looking at the Alpine combined, I think, you know, for me, growing up, I always did the classic combined, which I'm glad they changed it to one run of slalom and one run of downhill, because that really made it a more fair race. But I think the Super G Alpine combines are sort of a non-event, really. It doesn't make sense, because... The technical skiers are decent at Super G. It's not high speed. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to go off any hard jumps, which is really what a true downhill is. Right. And the combine was just taking the fastest event and mixing it with the most turny, slowest event. And that is a classic combine. So I think these Alpine combines where they're incorporating Super G, it kind of goes away from that. And, and I do see there's a huge discrepancy in you know, athletes that really are great at both of those events. There's only a handful of athletes that are really good at speed and really good at um, slalom, and that can be kind of hard for TV, I think. It is, and, and quite frankly, it's much more exciting on the women's side right now, whereas it seems to be cyclic. The men don't seem to care about it right now, and I, I could not bring myself to watch the race in Bormio, which I wasn't on that call. Um, you know, the guys that are on the podium, they don't ski slalom at all. They're not even close to world-class level in slalom. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard because you want, you can't like, you know, the slalom, if you're an ex really good slalom skier, you're training a ton. It's just the, the four event skier doesn't really exist that much anymore it's really only the few super talented racers that are doing that because the risk when you're a slalom skier of doing speed all the time is so high and the amount of slalom gates you need to ski to be really 
even decent at slalom is so high that you just it's a it's a huge wear and tear on the body and it's really difficult and I think people are finally realizing it's more important to win the races that I'm good at than come in 10th place or 15th place in a race that I'm bad at like I don't care about that anymore and I think people are really seeing that with the specializing you know that it's that you need to really the level is raising like all these racers are really pushing their limits at the event that they're good at and they're really raising the bar so you have to keep up right so are you sad to see this happening I mean in a sense you're kind of you're a dying breed. Uh, I mean, I know slalom fell off later in your career, but you were among a handful of, say, five or six great all-around skiers. Um, is the death of the all-around skier a bad thing for alpine skiing? Um, I think it's a, I, you know, it definitely is hard for viewers. I think viewers like seeing the same athletes and mm -hmm. trying something different. I think they like that. But, you know, for me, my best season I made, maybe 80 world cup points in slalom and you know should i have trained gs more and actually you know had a really successful consistent podium career in giant slalom like maybe i just loved the challenge of everything so for me it wasn't really about winning it was more about the challenge and doing all the events and loving that aspect but i think that people are a little bit i guess more competitive in the way that they want to really win the races that they're entering instead of gaining points everywhere and for sure on the overall side too you know if you want to gain a globe or if you want to win the overall you have to the people you know look at Hirscher look at Michaela they're winning every tech race you know they're on the podium every tech race they're not really doing the gain a few points everywhere they're trying to gain as many points as possible in as few as disciplines as possible. It's definitely interesting to hear from Julia about her take on um, the parallel. I think um, any racer who's ever raced parallel knows, you know pretty quickly there's a faster course. It's just, it's super instinctual. Um, you watch for a little bit and you know. like And so she knew watching, watching the event that one of the courses was faster. And since there's only one run, doesn't seem super fair. No. And, and so, you know, before we just say, hey, the FIS, this is a ridiculous idea, they are trying to make a better show. And so by having just one run, it, you know, you fly through that thing in one hour. So there's some merit to compressing a ski event where if we look at the history of skiing, you know, at Solomon GS takes like six hours between the first run and the second run. What sport does that with an hour and a half intermission? So, hey, right direction. But I, I, I think looking at that, if you want to really make this part of the calendar, and that is going to happen, uh, then you, you got to have a run on each course, which is how the city event works. And what I love is that she, she, she went right to the heart of it. She said, this is about building the sport. And the people want to see. They don't want this alphabet soup of faces out there. They want to be able to identify the stars. And I thought that it hadn't occurred to me. But, yeah, you get to see your stars twice as often if you get to see them run on both courses. And yeah. so that's for sure. I think that's good based on my math. No, I, I think that's really true. And I think we do want to see the top athletes um, as much as possible. Um, I also think that the inconsistency of how these events were held – the qualifying, the women had a qualifying run in which theoretically Michaela Schifrin could have been eliminated, which seems totally contrary to what we're trying to achieve here, which is we want to see the best athletes run after run uh, as much as possible in that environment, which is a fun environment. It just seems crazy, the whole approach. They need to make it more consistent. Um, and I, I believe that it should be a discipline on the World Cup. And I think... It would be super creative if we could see it. For example, like so you, you do. Th I mean, you like it. I like it. I like it. How I, many? How many would you want to see? Five, four or five. It's quite specific. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like five is a good number, and I feel like you could have it at almost any. So a lot of times they have slalom and GS, 
on a tech weekend and you could have it like let's say you had a race at a, a weekend in Killington where you had um, you know a slalom and a GS why couldn't you have a parallel event in Boston in Fenway Park or something creative like that or out at Neshoba Valley or Blue Hills which are little areas that are very close to the, the beauty of it is you can have it at little areas near large population centers and I think that would really help the sport um, get visibility. And it's fun. It's really a fun event. And I think you could make it an Olympic event too, right? So you could have parallel, not just team event at the Olympics, but parallel individual event at the Olympics and make it its own medal event and make it its own discipline. Yeah, I, I hate to agree with you so fiercely. But you're going to like this. I'm So anyone who's listening to this, which is everyone who just heard that, <laughs> it, go on to the FIST website and if you noodle around through there you'll find what they call the long-term calendar and in the, in the 2021 season Scott on the 29th of November there is scheduled and it says USA somewhere in the US a city event be still my heart uh and so and in that same year by the way that is the death of the alpine combined i don't see you welling up with tears no it would be great i mean i think i understand the impetus behind doing alpine combined it seems like okay we're gonna sort of test the all-round ability of someone who can ski slalom and downhill and vice versa and that seemed that would have worked in the age of Zerbriggen and Mayer and Giardelli and those guys who were great all-rounders. The great all-rounder is doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and, I mean, what did Julia say? It's there's so much wear and tear on your body. The schedule is, you know, I think in the in the you know you go back 15 years, it was still the same. 35 to 40 races a year, but you go back to Zubrigan and Jurdai, fewer races, and I would make the case that the sport was less abusive on the body. I think I think with the equipment today, it's harder on the body with the specialization. People are training more. So it, there's, as Julia said, it just, it beats up on your body. And so, yeah, no one is willing to, you know, they're gonna either be slalom GS skiers or speed skiers but in between, you're not going to have many, and all you have to do is watch a couple of men's combines to realize like it's exciting for like three racers. Well, I think that um, the the way the schedule works right now is quite honestly a joke. I think there's way too many races traveling all over the place. The wear and tear. If they want to have all around skiers, this is not the way to do it. No. Um, and I think I think a parallel event. Uh, a parallel discipline might go, might actually create a little more momentum for an all-around skier because we're seeing some of the guys who are speed skiers do well in the parallel that Jan's right, right, right to Mancuso's point. Yep. It's it, it is a discipline unto itself, and so you know if I'm looking at this calendar again, it's a proposal, 2021, Alpine combined gone, and as far as the I feel you looked at this because <laughs> there's there's going to be five uh, parallel slash city at city events, uh, and then there'll be another one which is going to be a team event, and then it'll it'll be its own discipline. I think that's perfect. The fact that they're using it in as part of the scoring for slalom and part of the scoring for giant slalom right now is not right, and I don't know anyone that thinks otherwise, and so it's. I think the FIS, they're trying, they're, they want to introduce it. They want to test it. So in so doing, it's a bit clumsy how it's been introduced. But in 2021, I think it's going to be awesome. Yep. Two-run speed events. We're going to see one this year. We've seen them in the past, but it's usually a function of, the, of not enough snow. So that's all the room we have. But this year, they have planned one on the women's side in Garmish, uh, yeah, women's Garmisch downhill. It's going to be a two-run downhill. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I think, you know, part of the problem with the calendar in general is it's gotten super unwieldy. The, the, the 
It starts in October, late October, usually in Solden, and then meanders through uh, 40 races, roughly 40, between 35 and 40 races for the men and 35 and 40 races for the women. It's too much. Um, and I think one of the big problems that I personally have is I think Downhill and Super G are, if you take all of skiing in general, are extreme skiing, you know, freestyle skiing, half pipe, moguls, aerials, backcountry, Downhill and Super G are arguably the most dangerous um, and it should be exciting events out there. And they are no longer. Outside of Kitzbühel and maybe Wengen, when it's not a lowered start, uh, downhill has become boring to watch. And part of it is it's not, you know, we have a guy who usually wins who runs in the top 10, and then we got to watch 30 more guys who may or may not beat him, but usually don't. Um, that's one, one problem. So you don't build towards the best guy should go last. Sorry, I know that's a problem for a lot of the downhillers because 30th is a really tough position to go. That's why it should probably be two runs to try and even out some of that. Um, but right now, downhill and Super G, I think Super G is actually more exciting than downhill a lot of times because it's no, there's no training runs and inspection so important um, and it's a little less predictable. Uh, downhill now has become this predictable slud, trudge through sludge. Yeah. No, I... Again, you know, I, I sit in the booth and, you know, there were sometimes you got to call a guy. Once you get past 30 and then really there's 80 guys, there's 80 guys. So the, the event is over. Like we, everyone in the world knows the event is over apart from the anomaly. And the anomaly, when it does happen, it's not exciting. We always say, it's the weather. So we, we sort of... This will have this fantastic performance, theoretically, from the back. And then when they do win, you immediately take the rug out from under their feet and say, ah, the weather. So what's the point of having them there? And so anyway, the, the FIS has, has been looking at that, too. They, they acknowledge this. They're talking about having the fields go only as deep as 45. You're going to have a problem. Obviously, it's like, how do you bring other people into the World Cup? That's obviously an issue. But I do think that we need to be putting our best foot forward in terms of making this sport appealing to people that don't otherwise watch it. And that's a step in the right direction. And I couldn't agree more. I, I, I feel honestly like apart from Fengen and Kitzbühel, every downhill should be a dual downhill. Logistically, that's challenging, I know that. And I also agree with Mancuso that Super G right now is, in many cases, it's more often than not a more exciting race to watch than downhill. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to tell in Wengen when someone's going 100 miles an hour because it's buffed. You, you can't see that. Right. Um, so, anyway. If you go back and you watch um, Franz Klammer's run from 1976 or any really downhill run, winning downhill run back then, they looked more exciting to me. Um, the, it was always rougher. And I know we've now reached the, the level with the equipment where <clears throat> it has to be, I think, um, more buffed out. I, th I just think it's, it's, the speeds are too high and the forces are too great now to have those kind of conditions. But... They're, they've got to figure out a way to make up for it because to me, like this fact that an event from 40 years ago looks more exciting than an event from today is a, is a problem. It right. shouldn't be that way. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and that's not to take anything away from the guys that are doing it now because what no. they are doing, right, it's, it's just it's inhuman. Athletically, it's a bigger challenge than yeah. what we saw before. Unfortunately, we can't see it. Exactly. We know it because we've been there. We can kind of remember it, but what they're doing now, exceptionally athletic uh, and harrowing, and yet it doesn't. They're risking their lives, and we can't tell. Right. It doesn't translate, and the fact that it doesn't translate and that's being lost, I think, is a sin. I think what those guys do and how easy they make it look is amazing. Um, and there's a few times now, it's usually a kiss fuel or a lot, a lot of times it's birds of prey where we actually see that risk. Yeah. Um, but it's it's rare. It, watch Lake Louise. I mean, that's a, that's a fast downhill. And I know it's one of the easier downhills on the circuit. 
But those guys aren't any less risking it out there. And for some reason, we snooze through some of those yeah. races. It's that that is one of the all-time visual sleepers. I mean, yeah. I hate to say it. I'm half Canadian. I love the Canadians, uh, but that downhill is a visual snooze fest. Yeah, please don't um, make me watch it anymore. And, but I would watch it if it was a two-run speed event. Yes. If it was two-run, I'd watch it because that's about the clock, and then it builds a crescendo. We, Are we going to do... Are you do but should it be two runs with the reverse thirty like how we? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You build to a crescendo, race is over. Yeah, uh, and that's you know Solomon Giant Slalom when they changed that rule back in nineteen ninety two, brilliant. It's it's always exciting. Zagreb, Croatia. It's a flat slalom, not that exciting to watch. Both races in Zagreb, Croatia were so fun to watch, and I attribute that to the FIS making the change with the format reverse thirty. And it builds to a big crescendo at the end. I love those races. But if you were to just watch 80 random people come down running slalom in Zagreb, right? That's that's like a double dose of Ambien right there. I mean, I would argue that today's giant slalom in Adelboden was the most exciting race of the year so far yeah. for the men um, in any event. And it might end up being that way depending on how conditions go and all the rest of it. It may end up being that way for the entire season. Um, it may for me, hold more interest and be more exciting than any speed event this season. And that seems wrong to me. Yeah. Well, you did mention that the the sport has not gotten any safer. (laughs) And uh, that brings us back to the back end of our Julia Mancuso interview. If you have been watching, you've seen a shadow of Julia Mancuso out there racing. And so I couldn't just talk about the parallel events. I had to ask where she was physically and what really she had in mind. Because I think when we all watch her ski, we're thinking, what's the end game here? So here's what she had to say. Where are you right now? What's the, I mean, watching you ski, it's clear that you are not the, the Julia Mancuso that won you know, the record number of American medals. Where are you? And what's what's the end game for you come the Olympic time? Um, yeah, so I definitely was part of that game. You know, maybe I should have listened a little harder to my doctor when they told me that, um, you know, my hip was not in great shape and I should try and to... How long ago was do... that, by the way? You've been dealing with pain for a decade, not just recently. Um, yeah, I've been... Yeah, I mean, I've been... I've been dealing with pain since I was before I was 20 with my hip I must have crashed when I was I don't know exactly when but um because I was born with hip dysplasia I had a really hard time healing my hip once I hurt it and so I'm I've definitely had hip pain (laughs) since I was pretty young so I've had that pretty much my whole world cup career but I've tried you know my best to not let it affect me and um and just recently, yeah, I had to have surgery again two years ago because I thought that was my only choice if I wanted to get back in the World Cup. And so here I am two years later, and it's been a very difficult recovery. I still get a lot of pain, and it hasn't quite gone to how I planned, but I really set out on the goal to make it to these Olympics, and I've just been sort of, you know, I mean, every day I reevaluate my goals because of course two years ago when I got the surgery it was because I was going to go for another medal now I'm really just fighting to find at least freedom while I'm skiing and not think about the pain and and you know look I know a lot of alpine skiers who ski with pain it's not a new thing so Mm -hmm. um just try to really focus on maybe you know it's not necessarily hurting me more I just need to get over that and ski free and make it down the hill in more of a, I guess, competitive style and, and then make the Olympic team. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of running out of time for that, but it's been an incredible journey. So I get, I guess I've definitely learned a lot. So that's been good. I, I, I was, uh, Shauna Farnell did an article with you <clears throat> or an interview with you. And there's a quote from you. I have, magical powers and referring to your ability to kind of come out of nowhere and always walk away from a world championship 
or an Olympics with a medal. It's I don't think there's been an athlete in the history of skiing that's had that ability like you. Are you, uh, you kind of, and I mean this seriously, are you sort of drawing on this magical power right now just to get to the Olympics? Um, yeah, I really am drawing on the magical power. I think um, it's hard. I think when you, ha- like for me, I have a goal to make these Olympics and I've just been doing everything I can until I know that it's too late and it's not possible. And I, I guess I just wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't try because that's what my goal was. You know, that's what I set out to do and trying and going through every possible motion to get me there is just as important as making it and I never I think in the career that I've had and going through this far I just don't want to have any regrets with that and think oh I wish I would have tried harder because I feel really good now or something you know Uh, one way or the other are the Olympic Games the end for you in, in terms of competitive alpine skiing um yeah I think so most most definitely gonna try to take care of my body a little bit better and enjoy other fun things in life. Well, well before, I, before I let you go, I know you got to get to a meeting right now, but um, after that time, and, and it's been an incredibly long and successful career, I think 17 years, what is the next chapter going to look like? Um, wow. I mean, definitely still a lot more skiing. I have a lot of goals with free skiing and just exploring. I just, I think being able on, being on this World Cup tour has really given me a love for traveling. And so for sure, that's going to be part of my next chapter. And uh, we'll see. <laughs> All right. It's great to talk to you. I haven't talked to you in forever. But uh, when will I, when will we see you racing next? Are you going to be in Bagline Kirkheim? Um, yeah, I hope to race in Badcline. I'm not sure. It depends on the conditions. I'm definitely, I've, I'm not quite there on the difficult condition mm-hmm. racing, so we'll see. But okay. that's the plan. Gotcha. All right. Good luck with the plan, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in Korea. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Thanks, Julia. <laughs> thanks, Steve. Bye. Okay, bye. It was it was too bad I didn't get to chat a little longer with Mancuso because I think there's a whole lot more there with regard to her injury. But boy, has she braved on through her years on the World Cup. It's 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 really amazing. I remember a couple of years ago when she had just had her operation and you interviewed her uh, in Copper Mountain and I sat in on that and she showed a lot of emotion. Emotion we'd never really seen from her. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been interviewing her on and off since she was 16 years old. When she was younger, super aloof. And I, when, I'll let you describe that moment, but I was stunned. And, and when she comes out the way she came out in that moment, that was, the floodgates came open and, and I did not see that coming. And that's not who she is normally. No. I think we were all on our heels in that situation. I was sitting in the room when that interview happened and to see her cry after never having a real feel for her in a lot of interviews where she sort of, you know, played it cool um, was, I don't think we realized the significance maybe necessarily of A, what she'd been going through for 15 years on the World Cup. She had... And just, just to be clear for everyone, this was when Mancuso had just decided that she couldn't go on. Yeah. Right, with, and she had to have hip surgery. Yeah. And it was her sister, who's now a doctor, that more or less said, hey, you got to do this. Right. And I think, you know, I think that she maybe knew the significance of what she was doing at that moment. Um, and also, I think it was sort of opening the floodgates of 15. She has, I mean, Julia has 398 World Cup starts, which is amazing. Unbelievable. Amazing to think of all those starts that she did, probably managing a significant amount of pain that we didn't really even know about. Yeah. I mean, we knew she had hip issues, but we I don't think we knew what was going on until that interview um, and until she had decided to have that operation. And I think she knew maybe, it seems to me she probably knew her career might be in the balance there, like it was probably going to be a tough comeback. Um, But just to to sort of see the success she had um, and the fun she had over all those years and all those starts, um, it's amazing. It's amazing. 
Cause she, that, I mean, that's the one thing that she exuded was the joy of skiing. And sometimes when she wasn't performing well, I think that some people read it wrong. Yep. Right. And I, I, at times I was one of those people. Oh, I was one. Yeah. I was Where one. I was like, come on, don't you want to win? Yeah. But at the end of the day, you got to love what you do. And she did that as well as anyone. And I can remember stories of Chris Knight, her coach, telling me in the summertime, is he saw this coming for years, she would be grimacing like her face could not come out of a contraction because she was training in so much pain and that went on we're not talking about weeks this went on for a long time and yet every time we would see her on camera she was always smiling yeah you know i think she was a great she's been a great ambassador for the sport um i think people within the sport have been critical of her for not being um, I think she has, you know, I think we all thought maybe she had the skill to take an overall. Yeah. She certainly was good in a lot of different events, as we, as she talked about in, in this podcast. Um, but I think that um, the joy she's brought and the success she's had on in the major events uh, have helped propel Do you have those numbers? Uh, I don't have them in we, we, we're, we're just talking about this. So don't hold us to every single number. But 39 times on a World Cup podium, and you said 398 starts. So rough math, one out of 11 starts, she made it to the podium, which is still a pretty good rate. But at the Olympics and the World Championships, call them championship events. I think she had 40 starts. And nine medals. Nine medals. So three times more likely to win the important medals than a World Cup. Yeah. No, she definitely... Rose to the occasion, you know, and we talked a lot magical about... Magical powers. Magical powers. They for sure exist. Yeah. They, they, I, I'm not sure there's another explanation for what she was able to do at championship events. I agree. And now it's time for little news nuggets. What do you got for me? Well, I think it's interesting that... Uh, Lindsay left Europe a little bit early. She had one more race on her calendar. Having um, just won. Having just won. Um, she skipped the final Super G to come home. And uh, her knee had been bothering her. But she started, you know, we've heard a lot of mumblings and grumblings about setup with her. And um, she came home and she started training with Michaela's old coach, Brandon Dykstrahaus. Um, up in Vail, and uh, she had at least a few days with him. I, I've seen video mm-hmm. on the internet, um, and I think she also traveled to Aspen and trained over there a little bit. Um, and it seems like uh, she just is regrouping. Um, I don't know if they're dealing with setup. My suspicion is they are. Um, but for sure, I saw her training. Uh, the videos I've seen, she looks a little more comfortable. It seems like she had a level of discomfort on her skis early in the season. And that's me sort of watching from a distance and just saying, like, I don't think she looks her 100% Lindsey Vaughn. Um, just sort of gut feeling. Yeah. Um, and just watching video now, I'm not comparing her to anybody else, and I'm watching video of her training, and that's a different animal. But to me, she seemed a little more comfortable. I saw some nice slalom and some good high-speed GS, maybe Super G, where she just seemed to be more Lindsay Vaughn-esque. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, Brandon Dykstrahaus is, you know, he's kind of got that complete skill set where, you know, he's good with people, he knows technique, and he's very into technology. And that's that's kind of the modern coach right now. you got to have all these things that you can put together. And, you know, it's not easy for Vaughn over in Europe to kind of be able to go away and get quality training like you can in a place like Vail. It's like going to the batting cage, whack, 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 whack. And so, you know, I, I, I am projecting that when she comes back that there's going to be uh, a level of comfort that we did not see early in the year. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think we might see uh, a new sheriff in town when the speed starts back up in Europe. Um, I mean, I think I might be rooting a little bit for that, but I definitely feel like this was probably a good period for her. Yeah. And amazing that she, obviously she's not that injured because she went back to training. Uh, Lindsey Vaughn of old, and old meaning just last year, never 
would have pulled out of a race. That's a, that's she is finally walking the the talk because she has said, if it's dangerous for me, if it's not good, I won't go. She would say that, and then she would immediately go right plow into the fog. So it was interesting to see her kind of live by that. Um, other things in the news, speaking of injuries, earlier in the year, Carlo Janka of Switzerland, that was a huge hit for the Swiss team. He blew out his knee. He did not get it surgically repaired. He has been rehabbing. He's already been on snow for the better part of two weeks. He is coming back to race in Wangen, which is exactly what I would want to do without an ACL. Brave man. It seems insane to me. Uh, I just tore my ACL. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Christmas Day, I was struck down by uh, higher forces, and I don't even enjoy walking around with no ACL. So, racing on no ACL, that seems nuts. Yeah, courageous. Other ACL news. Yeah, so bad news for the U.S. ski team. Travis Ganong um, tore his ACL in a crash in Bormio. He went into the B netting, as he said, for the first time in his career, which I think is always a little bit eye-opening. B netting is... Brutal, uh, and tore his ACL and will be out for the season. It's a big blow, huge for, hit, huge big hit. blow. Um, the U.S. ski team, men's team, is struggling at best. Um, there's a couple young guys who are doing well. Bryce Bennett and Jared Goldberg have been hitting in the top twenty. Yeah, they're they're, they're punching above their weight right, right. now. And that's right. that's great. But that what is that? That's not medal. No contenders. No at this point. No, and Travis has won a medal in the World Championships. Um, and obviously Steve Nyman is coming back from a knee injury. Uh, and, the, and the tech side outside of Ted Ligety has been rough. And so this is not good news for the U.S. ski team in an Olympic year. Nor, nor for Travis. No. No. That's, that's, it's, there's no silver lining to any of that. No. Veronica Velez-Zuzalova, who injured her knee and had it surgically repaired... September 20th is rumored to be coming back here in the next couple of weeks. I talked to her husband, Romain Vele, who's also the head coach of the French team, and I wanted to know more about the surgery because it's apparently uh, it's a new surgery, and it's her surgeon who is in Lyon. I'm hoping to actually get an interview with them, but essentially they took her ACL, which tore middle substance I think they call it and so you've got these two mop ends dangling in there took a cadaver ligament wrapped it around both ends pulled it together uh, not a doctor but if she comes back uh, with a repaired ACL four months out and it works that is gonna be amazing that is going to draw the attention of many athletes around the world and I heard and I have no idea again not a doctor probably speaking a little out of turn but there's also something else he does with the knee that is a preventative measure from future ACL tears so I'm going to try and find out more about that but this is this is otherworldly territory magical powers magical powers Um, But it would be amazing if she came back because I think that's one skier before she was injured that maybe the skier that had the ability to put pressure on Schifrin. So now is the portion of the podcast where we make our picks in upcoming races and out of the gate, we have a women's midweek slalom in Flacow under the lights, where the prize money is the highest of the season at 79,000 francs, uh, Swiss francs. Siri, how much is 79,000 Swiss francs in dollars? Okay. I found this on the web for 1,000 francs. Oh, that's not going to work. It's to more. It's going to be <laughs> over $80,000. Keep going. Um, and... I believe that Michaela Schifrin is going to add to her coffers this week. Uh, she's already got 461,000 Swiss francs of prize money in the bank uh, this season. I think she's going to win in Flacow. Vlova is going to pull a second place. And um, Bernadette Shield is going to round out the podium. I think she's going to be fast uh, under the lights on home soil. I like that. I like that pick. Um, 
Schifrin. Holdner just looks so good, so athletic right now. I think it's also been warm. I think when it gets scrappy, she's going to be good. And and Vlova's been off, but she's also been sick. I know she had a temperature in the last couple of races. A lot of illness going around. So I'm putting her back on the podium in third for that slalom. Then the women move to Bad Klein Kerkheim uh, and resume a speed schedule that has had a big break. The last time we saw them doing speed was mid-December. And I have... Uh, the greatest skier of all time returning to the top of the podium, Lindsey Vaughn with the win in the downhill in Bad Klein Kerkheim, uh, with Cornelia Hooter taking second place and Victoria Rebensberg rounding out the podium. In the Super G, I got Tina Weirotter taking the win, Sophia Goja in second place, and Anna Veit in third. Veit. Ah. Uh, well... I also have Vaughn uh, coming back with a victory. I've got, this is for the downhill, I've got Goja for second. I think Goja getting on the podium uh, just today in Kronskogora. Again, it was a, there's never been a straighter course in the world, and that definitely was her style. I don't think her GS is there, but I think that fired her up. And you give that woman a little fire, I think it goes a long way. And then Cornelia Hooter, I think she can be back on her game. It's in Austria, they're gonna need one. There'll be a lot of pressure there. She rises to the occasion. Super G, I'm, I'm giving Goja the win. Just That just happened. Vaughn, second, and I think Schmidhofer, uh, because I don't think Veit is going to be in there for the reason that it's been really warm in Europe and no more this perfect man-made snow. It's going to be hard and rattly, and I think anyone with bad knees, and there's a lot of folks out there, uh, are not going to be up to it, and I would count Veit among those that won't be as good as they were in Veltzer. Wrong. <laughs> um, then the men move to another week of cla- the classics are on right now for them. They are in Vengen for a downhill, an alpine combined, and a slalom. Uh, who you got? Uh, for the downhill, I'm uh, Bayat Foyts because it's, it's way switching. too fat. Way too fat. <laughs> the Kugelblitz. You know, it's such a big man's downhill, and he's always pretty good there. I, I'm always amazed by the fact that that guy. At, he, I don't think he hits five foot eight. I think he's your height. And he. Are you saying I'm short? I'm saying you're short. And uh, he just has a magical touch. I've got Svindal next, and uh, Dominic Paris. I know I said he's going to be up and down, but I think that's that's a good one for him. I think he's not going to go that far down. But I think he'll be in there for third. I do not believe Bayat Foyce has the leg power to make it to the finish. He's going to stump out in those last few gates, and he's not going to I mean, he's, got the, he's been carrying around the Kugel Blitz for a long time, doing nothing but developing leg power, so I think he got it backwards. Um, I think he needs to hit the weight room. Uh, I got Axel Lynn Spindal with the win. I got Adrian Tao with the second-place finish. He's just been kind of fast here and there all winter in training I think he puts it together in the long challenging course as a veteran and I got you're, you're just not you're not trying to be creative and different with that one no okay no I, I believe what I say okay uh, and I got Shadow Yandrud rounding out the podium in the men's downhill in the Alpine combined I have Alexi Pentero taking the win I think that just seems obvious at that point at what about Hirsch you going to take Hirscher? Here, sure. No, he's not racing. Um, that's just because we just got a text finding out that he's not racing. Exactly. God, I shouldn't have. I should have held that information. Back. I, I didn't have him on the podium anyway. Mm-hmm. I got Shell Jansrud taking second place, and Thomas Drayson from Germany <laughs> in third. <laughs> Why not? It's, 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 it's impossible yeah. to call. It's throwing darts at a wall. I uh, I've got Pentro uh, for the win because you know he can pull back five to six seconds on everyone. <laughs> In the slalom that's competing in it. Uh, Innerhofer is always interesting there. So we'll give him second place. And, and Jansrud has actually been uh, solid in slalom. So, yeah. I think my Jansrud is going to take your dressing. Okay. Slalom. Slalom. I have, you know, at this point, you just cannot go away from Marcel here. Watch sure. me. Watch me. Well, that go. would be... Really, really dumb. Um, Marcel Hirscher with the victory. He's just in fuego, right? In fuego. He is unstoppable. LA Gear unstoppable. And then we have Mario Mott in second place. Do you I, think he's, uh, is he coming out of retirement? I mean, Michael. Gotcha. 
Darn. <laughs> um, Michael, my, he's been on fire lately. I just think he's skiing really, really fast. He seems like he's on his game. And then I got Christofferson. Uh, he is just consistently podium speed right now. Uh, he is going to be third. I think he's got winning speed. So I got the same three guys. Uh, different order. I think Christofferson... Uh, he's the kind of kid, too, that unlike Hirscher, who will never ski out. I mean, Christofferson is obviously also very consistent. But I think that Christofferson is willing to really build up quite a lather in the start. And he showed me in Zagreb that he does have winning speed. Uh, it's not going to be easy, but he's going to win. Hirscher second. And uh, I'm picking Michael Mott, who really had his, uh, he kind of debuted his skills on this particular hill, I think, three years ago. This is a place for him to get third. Sounds good. Although you're wrong. That's it for today's episode of Tips and Tales. And with that, a tip of the hat to our good friend and mentor, the late Gary Black who was always full of tips and tales, and one of his favorites was no pride in authorship. So if you have comments or questions, go to skiracing.com. Leave them right there. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. It was fun. <laughs>